you've done for us, God. You never did one more thing, God. You've been so, so good to us. Hallelujah. He gave us this day. He gave us breath in our bodies. I agree. That's been the theme today. Lord, you have been so good to us. Hallelujah. During this time this week, Thanksgiving coming up, I know a lot of us have family and turkey and everything on the brain, but let us not forget where thanks belongs first. As we do before we sit before our meals, we give thanks to the Lord for all that he has done for me. The list so long, <laughs> it would take forever to put down. Let's give him one more hand clap of praise this morning. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. For all that you've done for me, Lord God. Hallelujah, 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 Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, praise team, for ushering in the presence of the Lord here today. Thank you all for worshiping with us. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I feel good in the house here this morning. Amen. Amen. Lord is so good, so good. Hallelujah. Thank you all for being in the house of the Lord here today. You're not here by accident. I don't think a single person where this is your first time here, or this is your 100,000th time here, you're not here by accident this morning. I believe that the Lord has a word for us here today. And Brother Mike, you were, you, I mean, you teed it up just perfectly, man. I tell you what, the Lord is right there. Amen. Let's turn in our Bibles. We're going to go before the Lord here today. We're going to turn into Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Amen. Hallelujah. If you're there, say amen. If you're not, just go ahead and look up the screen. We got it says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Amen. This morning, I want to talk to us on the topic for a little bit here this morning of the dangers of being a Christian chameleon. The dangers of being a Christian chameleon. The Lord has been dealing with me over the last several months, especially as we're going into this new relaunch. And I have, I believe I have something for the Lord here today. Let's put out our Bibles. Let's lift up our hands one time before going for the Lord for this message. Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord, before we go into this word, Lord, oh, you have prepared the field here today, Lord. I pray that hearts and minds will be open to receive your word, that the word would fall on good ground this morning. I pray that you would anoint these lips of clay, God, this vessel that is, uh, has the honor and the privilege to deliver your word here today. Bless here today that hearts and lives be challenged and changed here today. And we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Let the church say in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. So in my opinion, <clears throat> chameleons 
I'm sure I don't have to describe them to you. We're all above the fourth grade level. We should be there, I assume. But they are some of the most intriguing and uh, interesting creatures in all of the animal kingdom. They're perplexing and breathtaking, uh, mostly because of their ability to change their skin color to blend in in whatever environment that they're at. They can physically, uh, they, they emit uh, things inside their body that changes the outward look of their, of their body. So if they're on a tree, they're brown. They're on a tree. They're on a leaf. They're on a, you know, they're green. They're on a leaf. Uh, they can change whatever it is. They do this uh, mainly for safety, but I, in, in doing this research, I've also found that they do it a lot for social uh, instances as well, for social interactions with other, with other chameleons and also social interactions uh, with, with the prey. Obviously, you know, they're going to try to hide. They're going to be not seeing them, and, and be, hopefully will be safe. Uh, it's a defense strategy. They don't have a vicious bite. They don't have like the teeth like a lion or the, the vipe, you know, the, the venom like a viper. They don't have any of that. Uh, so what they do is they blend in. They can't move quickly, so they conform their colors of their environment to avoid detection. So this might be all well and good for a chameleon, uh, but some Christians have taken it upon themselves, the ability of the chameleon to blend in and have it apply to their own lives, unfortunately to their own detriment. Those who do that are often referred to as Christian chameleons. Uh, in my opinion, there are two types of Christian chameleons I want to talk about this morning, uh, and the dangers of being either one of them, because there's they're two totally different ones, but there's dangers that come with it. First of all, the first type of Christian chameleon is one who truly blends in wherever they are. If they are at church, they're saying the things that Christians should be saying and what they should be doing. And if they're seen in the house of the Lord, uh, they blend in there. They look exactly how you would think a Christian should act and think. But if they're not in the church, then they take on that, that Christian chameleon. And they blend in to wherever that they may be. Uh, a lot of people that are in the world here, they may hear themselves call themselves Christian. In my opinion, that is a high title. I think that's something that's very valued, but it seems that it can get thrown around really easily today. You see it from, from celebrities, from politicians, no matter what side that you look at, uh, you know, from movie actors. Everyone says, you know, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. And you're like, well, you, you say that, but I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to judge. I'm not, but, but I mean, Christian means Christ-like. The literal definition of the word Christian, Christ, which is Christ, and in, which means to be like, Christ-like. And so if we're doing those things, calling our, taking the mantle of Christ, we should be taking that as well as Christian. Uh, there's an old saying, which I believe you guys heard before. It says, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to a garage makes you an automobile. It's very true. doesn't change who you are. So that's the first time they kind of blend in wherever they are. So the first real danger of, of, uh, of this Christian communion is it, first of all, most importantly, is it goes against what God has called us to do. As Christians, we are not called to conform to the world. We are called to be transformed in the world. Twice in the New Testament, we're warned against such conformity. First in Romans 12, 2. I'm sure you all could quote it. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. As believers, we're not to pattern our actions after the ways of the world. 
The ways of the world lead to death and hell and destruction. I'm sure anyone that's in here that has any kind of past, has lived in the world, has been a part of the world, can say, I've tried that way, and I found a better way. (laughs) I've tried that way before, and it led me to pain, and it led to hurt and depression and all kinds of things. But when I found Jesus, my life was changed. I was not being conformed to the world, but I was transformed by his spirit, by the Holy Spirit that lives inside each and every one of us that had that new birth experience. We are to resist that pressure and temptations of the sinful world so that we don't end up looking like the world. We were not called to look like the world. That's why we're called out from among the world. He said, come out from them and be separate, a separate thing for you. We are called to be different, transformed, not conformed. In in 1 Peter 13 through 16, the apostle Peter commands us, wherefore gird up your loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end of the grace that is brought unto you at the revelation of of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves to the former lust, which was in your ignorance. You didn't know before you know. You don't know what you don't know, right? You don't go not fashioning yourselves after the former lust, but he has, that has called you holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy. Why? Because I am holy. Are we ever going to be as perfect as Jesus? No, not here on this earth. <laughs> on this earth, we have to deal with flesh. We have to deal with sin. We have to deal with temptation and what our our flesh wants to do. But he has still a commandment to say, try to be holy because I am holy. Paul warned us about our conformity to the world. Peter's warning us about our conformity to our old life. Namely, the possessions and the desires which ruled over our lives before we were saved. The, The song comes to mind, I won't go back. I can't go back to the way that it used to be before his presence came and changed me. I can't go back. After I've seen what the Lord has done and I've seen the blessings that are in my life, he's been too good to me for me to turn around. He's been too good to my family for me to turn about and say, I'm returning to what I was before because I want to conform to the world. He's been too good for that. He can do it. As children of God, we're not to be conformed to the lusts, the appetites, and desires that filled us when we were unbelievers. That's the old man. A chameleon can stand on a tree and it becomes brown. It conforms to the tree. But the chameleon doesn't transform into a tree. It's still a chameleon. It doesn't matter what color it is. It's still a chameleon. It hasn't been transformed into something else. The Webster defines transformed as to change in composition or structure, to change in character or condition. Church, when we received that new birth experience, we had the repentance, water baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost, We were no longer the same person that we were before. We now have a difference. We now have God dwelling inside of us. 
That's what the Holy Ghost is. God living inside of 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. All things passed away. That means I don't talk like I used to talk. I don't walk like I used to walk. I don't go to the places that I went to before. I don't see the things that I saw before. I interact differently. My conversation has changed. My interactions with people have changed because all that was in the past. John 5, uh, 15, 5 through 6 says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as the branch and is withered. Men gather them, they cast them into the fire, and they're burned. If he is the vine and we are the branches, then we should be bearing fruit. We should be bearing fruit. We should be transformed into a fruit-bearing branch and not a fruitless branch or a branch that brings forth evil fruit. You could still be a branch and still not bring forth good fruit. You could still call yourself a Christian and still not be displaying fruits. Matthew 7, uh, 17 through 20 says, Every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth forth not fruit, not good fruit, is hewn down, cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits shall you be known. These fruits are what help us in our daily lives to, as Brother Mike was talking about, to walk in that walk. To say when we have conversations with others, they say, there's something different about you. There's something, I see that the way that you talk, the way that you, there's something that you, you don't join in with everyone else when they're talking about things and just, their life looks a little bit different. It helps us to be a witness. Being a witness, and that leads us to the second danger. So the first danger is it goes against what God commanded us to do. We are not to be conformed. We are to be transformed. The second danger is that it ruins our ability to be a witness to a lost and dying world. And the world looks at and interacts with us, and they don't see Jesus. There's something gone horribly wrong. How are we supposed to point them to him if we don't look like him, if we don't act like him? When I was younger, my teenage years, I worked at a restaurant. And I worked weekends, mostly Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I worked Sunday nights because we had church on the afternoon so that I could get to my shift there in time. And Sunday nights were very popular, as I'm sure you can all imagine why. Especially around 7.30 to 8.30 after the churches used to let out. Uh, they would come, and you could tell, all the servers could tell, not just me, by the, by the time that they came in and the way that they were dressed, they could tell that they came from church. And I remember seeing them coming in and praying, Lord, please let them be on their best behavior. <laughs> Dear Lord, let them tip well. Let them be kind. Let them be patient. Because I knew that if my fellow servers interacted with them and they were not those things, I was going to hear the brunt of it because <laughs> I was going to have to hear the remarks of, see, I told you those Christians are no good. I told, if they call themselves Christians, how can they even be so unkind to other people? And I'd have to tell them, you know, 
uh, not everybody's the same. <laughs> not all Christians are the same. Please don't write us all off because of these interactions. But I'm sure any of you that have worked in any kind of service industry have a similar story. I have a similar story that knows that these workers deal with enough from non-church people. <laughs> They'll do what the world is. I've seen YouTube videos and all kind of craziness that goes on for, I pray, not church people. They shouldn't have to deal with it from Christians. How we interact with people, how we deal with people matters. It matters because that may be the only interaction that they see with Christians. They may be surrounded by friends and family that don't know the Lord. And this interaction may either lead them to Christ, it could make them more interested in to have a compassion, or it could drive them even further away, especially if they already know our testimony. I'm not trying to be overdramatic this morning, but it could literally be the difference between spiritual life and death. That interaction that we have with that, with that waitress, that interaction that we have with the mechanic or whoever's, you know, whoever's out there in the service industry, that could turn them away from ever wanting to know about God. Because that may be like the last straw. Like, you know what? I, I know this guy, he calls himself a minister, but can you, can you imagine how he just, I just, I don't even want to be a part of it. It's very dangerous of that if we are Christian chameleons and blend into wherever it is and we don't carry on that mantle wherever we are, we lose that witness. Can God still draw those individuals? Absolutely. He can work around us. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God. But are we making it any easier for him? No. No, he may have called us to witness to that person, but instead we chewed him off because our hamburger was cold. Well, we're going to get a cold hamburger nowadays. It is what it is. <laughs> but we still have to have Christ. Amen. William Barclay, who's theology I do not agree with, so don't, don't quote me on that. But he nailed it on this quote. He said, our Christianity should be visible in the way that we treat a shop assistant across the counter, in the way we order a meal in a restaurant, in the way that we treat our employees and serve our employers, in the way we play a game, in the way that we drive a car, Lord help us, in the daily language we use, and in the daily literature that we read. As Christians, we should be just as much Christian in the factory, the workshop, the shipyard, the schoolhouse, the kitchen, the golf course, and the playing field as we are in church. Because Jesus did not say, you are the light of the church. Jesus said, you are a light to the world. To the light of the world. In here, we can all be bright light bulbs. In here, it's okay to shine our light and give praise to God and enjoy a corporate worship. And it's wonderful. I love that. I would not give it up for anything. But it's easy to see light in the darkness than it is when it's already bright. <laughs> What's one more light in the house? Well, that's good. It adds another light to, yeah, but out there, the light is needed more. The light is needed more in the dark place when they see no hope. When they see that there's, that there's all kinds of trouble around, that's when that light is important. That's when that light really shines. He's quoting, of course, from uh, Jesus from Ma uh, in, in Matthew that we read in our opening scripture text. It says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a light up under it and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. It's just like the song we used to sing in Sunday school. <clears throat> this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine.
I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. What's the next part? It says, hide it under a bushel. I'm gonna let it shine. See, I knew you guys were church people. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm gonna let it shine. It's such a, a small, simple song, something that we hear in Sunday school, and you guys might smile because that brings back good memories, but it should be the mantra of our life. I'm going to let my light shine. I'm going to let it shine. And does it say that we're to let our light shine so that everyone can see how bright our light is? No. <laughs> Verse 16 says, in the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? So that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. It's so that we can be a witness. <laughs> How do we lead people to Christ if we ourselves do not show him? If we don't let it shine, is it because we're ashamed of him? Oh, heaven forbid. Mark 8.38 says, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. I don't want God to be ashamed of me. <laughs> I don't, when my time comes to the end, I don't want to say, on earth, you didn't want to talk about me. On earth, you didn't seem to be so uh, excited to share the gospel. I want him to say, well done. Thou good and faithful servant, enter into your reward. Because I don't want to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. The second type of Christian chameleon, those are the dangers of the first one. The second type of Christian chameleon, in my opinion, is even more dangerous. It may hit even a little bit closer to home. Is those that openly claim Christianity, they claim it vocally. And their actions may seem like they're doing what they're, what they're backing up. But their heart and their attitude are not aligned with it. They become a chameleon in the church because it says, I've either been raised in this or I've read the Bible. I know what I'm supposed to do. And so I'll just do these things. But my heart is not in it. It's not aligned with what is. I'll be a spiritual chameleon to blend in with the church. But inside, I'm not all for it. That first danger of this is that it can be easy to convince ourselves that I'm doing all of the right things, so that must mean spiritually I'm okay. I'm doing the thing, so I must be okay. It's a saying that goes, you can do all the right things for all the wrong reasons. You can do all the right things for all the right. What is our heart and our motivation doing behind those things? Is our attitude focused on self, or is it truly focused on God? I recall, which I, I'm sad Brother Brian's not here. I recall a Three Stooges episode where Curly <clears throat> is stuck in a bear trap. Mo and Larry think that the bear got him, and he's out there you know, whining and crying. Mo tells Larry, he says, hey, go, go, check, on, go check on Larry. And Larry goes, mm-mm. He says, what are you, a coward? Larry goes, Yes. <laughs> Mo says, go out there and save him. Larry goes, all right, I'll do it. But my heart ain't in it. <laughs> he was going out there saying, I'll go ahead and do it because that's what you asked me to do. But I don't want to do it. But my heart's not in it. 
I'm doing it just because other people have told me that's what I'm supposed to do, but I'm not sold out on it. I'm not giving it 100% of what you asked me to do. Church, if we're, care- if we're not careful, we can become in that same position where we're working for the kingdom. We're doing the things that are expected of us, but we lose focus on why we're doing them. And we wind up in the same place of, I'll do it, but my heart isn't in it. Our actions will say one thing, but our heart and our attitude will say another. This is one of the main reasons for burnout. There's many of them, a long list of burnout. But when we lose our passion for something, when we lose our our heart, our focus of what we're called to do, we can lose focus on that. So we go through the motions while not being fully engaged, heart and soul. We blend in while doing the work. Jesus spoke of this attitude in Luke 18, 9 through 14. He said, and he spoke the parable unto certain which trusted in themselves. They were righteous and they despised others. They say that they were righteous, but they despised others. Two men came to the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed with himself, God, which I can't even imagine praying this. God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even this publican. He called out the publican that was praying in the same place that he was. I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. The publican standing afar off, verse 13, would not so much as lift his eyes unto heaven, but he smote his breast, saying, God, be merciful to a sinner such as me. He says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, justified, just as if I had never sinned, justified, rather than the other, for the other one exalted himself. And he that exalteth himself shall be abased, while he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. In Jesus' time, the Pharisee would have been considered the good guy. He was the religious one. He was the righteous one that people would look to. He was a synagogue leader in the town. Pharisees were super religious, and they were very careful about obeying the Torah. They also followed the Mishnah, which explained how to obey the Torah. Then they also followed the Talmud, which was a commentary on the Mishnah. So they they were very, by the letter, were very faithful in following that. However... When Jesus was telling this parable, he switched it up. By the end of the parable, the good guy turned into the bad guy. And the bad guy, the publican, he was a tax collector. The tax collectors were considered scum of the earth. They were hired by the Roman government. They could charge exorbitant taxes, and they could also keep money from themselves. A lot of them did that. So Jesus introduced this dichotomy as people are like, oh, okay, yeah, Pharisee and publican. And at the end, he had switched them around. The good guy had now become the bad guy. The bad guy had now called the good guy. Why? Why was this? Because the Pharisee was at the temple to tell others how good he was. He was there to show up in his quote-unquote Sunday best. He had his long robe flowing. He probably walked, in my mind, this is just me, this is not scripture. In my mind, I could see him walking, there probably wasn't a platform, but to the, to the temple, the synagogue, probably walked right to the center of it and started saying this. I don't think he just said this to himself, by the way. Saying this, proclaiming it loudly of how great the things that he was doing. He had given much thought about what he would wear, where he would stand, and what he would say because there was an audience. 
When he arrived, he walked to the front. and said he did all the, the robes. The word he prayed, though, they weren't directed to God. It was more directed to self because he wanted others to hear what he was praying, what he was saying. The tax collector, however, he showed up because he was in trouble. His heart was not right. He knew that he was a sinner, and he wanted mercy. He wanted mercy from God. His body language revealed his sense of unworthiness. He couldn't walk to the front of the crowd. It says he stood afar off. He didn't want anybody to see him. He didn't want to have an, an interaction with the audience. and have, hey, Look how wonderful. No. He smote his breast and said, God, have mercy on a sinner like me. By looking on the outside, the things that the Pharisee did, I think we would all agree, were, are good. He was praying in the synagogue. That's a good thing. He was fasting twice a week. We talk about fasting and the importance of putting down our flesh, of giving tithes and offerings. All great. All good things. All good things. However, he wasn't doing it for the right reason. He was blending in with the religious sect of the day. But his heart was not aligned with what he was doing in action. God gave them the Torah saying, actions, these are things that you are to do until I send a comforter, until I send Jesus had come, but they were still following to the letter, not having the reason of why they were doing it, not having the internet that says, Lord, I know it's not of the sacrifices, it's of my heart. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus speaks out against many of these Pharisees. The phrase, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, it's mentioned seven times in that chapter alone. <laughs> and all these were the religious days, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. The one that really cements this is Matthew 20, 23, 26 to 28. He says, thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them also can be clean. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like whitened sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful on the outside, but are within full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, ye outward appear righteous unto men, but within you're full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Mm. Strong words. Strong words, but they're God's words. <laughs> That's what he said. He was tired of the religious sect of the day being like, you know what? I'm doing all these wonderful things. You all know I'm religious. You know I'm all spiritual. But inside, their heart was bitter. It had pride. And there was so much that's on the inside there. This similar sentiment is in the Old Testament. It's Old Testament and New Testament. Both Isaiah 29, 13, the Lord talking about Israel says, Wherefore the Lord say, for as much as the people draw near me with their mouth. And their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart from me. Their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. They're taught because of the word to fear me, but their heart is not in it. It's not, they're playing the part on the outside, but their heart is far from me. So our first danger is convincing ourselves that we're doing these things, I'm, everything's right, but is our heart in it? Is our heart saying, you know what, Lord, I'm doing my best. I'm in it to give you 100% no matter where I am. Let it not draw far from thee. A second danger of this one is we can be so good, so good at blending in that we can fool a lot of people, including fellow Christians sometimes. And we fool them, that means that they look like everything's okay. The danger of this, this means that it, instead of reaching out to one another in prayer, 
because that would show vulnerability to us. That would show that we may have something in our lives we may not be proud of, but we need help with it. We blend in and put on this mask that everything is okay. I'm going to blend in with the crowd. I'm going to come, go raise my hands, and I'm going to leave because I don't want no one to know that there's something else going on. We can be so, it can be so dangerous to get to that point. And a lot of people can be so good at blending in, so good, because they're good at not hiding their feelings on their sleeves. And we can only see with our eyes. We can only see so much. And as for a human race, we're not mind readers. At least us men are not. I'm, I'm comfortable saying our gender are not mind readers. You women, I sometimes wonder about. I don't know if you're secretly hiding it from us, but I wonder sometimes. Tapped into something I don't know about. But you guys can sometimes have empathy or can sometimes feel something that the eyes, that the eyes can't see. But we sometimes will judge one another with our eyes of what we can see. This is what Samuel did. First Samuel 16, uh, 6 through 7. Samuel's picking the next king or going to anoint the next king of Israel. And he goes to Jesse and here he says, When he came to pass, when they were come, the sons of Jesse, he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Sure. Anyone else? Anyone? No, this is the guy. Surely this is the one that the Lord is going to anoint. The Lord goes, uh-uh, no. The Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as a man seeth, but looketh, that for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh at the heart. When we look at this from Samuel's perspective, the last king that he anointed was Saul. And Saul, which I, I didn't even know until this year, I was talking about Brother J.R., I was reading through it, and I, I never realized it. In 1 Samuel 9 and 2, is talking about Saul. He had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man and goodly. There was not among the children of, him, of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the people. He was tall and good looking, ladies. Saul was a good-looking dude. So from his perspective, he probably saw Saul dealing with that anointing. And he saw Eliab come front and said, well, this, this is the guy. Look at him. He's playing the part. He looks the height. He's got the looks. This is the one that's going to be the king over Israel. And God said, no, that's not it. I don't know what the Lord saw in Eliab. But whatever it was, it disqualified, disqualified him from being king in God's eyes. So it doesn't matter what others think about us. Someone could look at him and say, oh, yeah, Brother Heil, he's up there. He's, he's dressed. He's got... It doesn't matter. What matters is our heart. What matters is on the inside. That others may see and look and say, look at it. You know, such a God. No, we don't have to judge by our eyes, but judge by the fruits. Judge by our spirit. That's why it's so important that we're spiritually sensitive to these things. We're spirits and we're filled with the Holy Ghost because we can, the, the spirit can give us information that our blood, that flesh and blood, can't understand. We, we'll, they'll, they'll ever be praying with someone, and I know we've had preachers in here before that sometimes just say a word to you, a word of knowledge, and you're like, you're praying, but your first inclination is to be like, who told you? Who's, who's, how, pastor, pastor's been telling me. No, they've been sensitive to the spirit that God gave them a word for you. So flesh and blood does not know those things. It's so important to be full of the Holy Ghost, and if you are not full of the Holy Ghost here today, by the way, Today can be your day. The new birth experience that I talked about, repentance, water baptism, Holy Ghost, that is for you today as well. I don't want to give out, I'm talking about Christians, telling this crazy guy here talking about chameleons. The new birth can be given out at a service just like this as well. Amen. This is your opportunity. So being so good of a chameleon 
that we blend in that we don't reach out to others because we don't want that vulnerability. Number two, the final reason, finally, brethren. Finally, brethren, the, the final example is of being a, a danger of being a Christian chameleon is that we can blend in, but if we're not transformed, we may not be spiritually prepared when the enemy attacks. We may not be spiritually prepared because like a chameleon, he may blend in with a tree. A chameleon may blend in with the leaf, and I don't know this eyesight of who's ever trying to eat the chameleon, but his eyesight may not be as good. Be like, where, where'd he go? I don't know where he went. The spirit world doesn't have those kind of eyes. <laughs> the spirit world doesn't have those kinds of things. And we see this, a prime example, as the seven sons of Sceva, the book of Acts. Acts 19 says, and then there's a, a certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call them over, which had evil spirits. So come on, all these evil spirits. They let them to call them the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preacheth. They didn't even claim it as their own. Whom Paul preacheth. And there was one seven sons of Sceva, a Jew, a chief priest, which did so. And the evil spirit answered, and he said unto him, <laughs> he said, Jesus I know. I know Jesus. <laughs> Paul I know. I know who Paul is. He works in authority. He works under the operation of the spirit. But who are you? Who are you? The man in which the evil spirit was, he leaped on them, overcame them, prevailed against them, and they fled out of the house naked and wounded because they thought that they would blend in. They thought they'd say, I see them casting out demons. They're raising people from the dead. They're healing people. You know, the Paul's taking like handkerchiefs, giving them to people, and they're being healed just by the power that resides. We're going to use that power too. So he, he, they tried, I, by Jesus' name, that Paul preacheth. Being like, you know, Paul, yeah, that's the one I'm talking about. Like the spirits were going to get fooled by that. Church, they wanted to use the power of that name. But as, Christ, and as Christians, we have to be able to use that power. And not because it's just a magical formula. Not because it's a wand we, we throw around. No, because there is authority in the name of Jesus. There's authority when we say in the name of Jesus. It's because we hold all authority in that name. All power belongs to that name. All resides in that name. As a Christian, there will be times in our lives when we have to do warfare. There will be times. A chameleon's not ready to do battle. That's why they blend in. They blend in so that they don't, I just sit here and no one will see me. They'll go around me. Is it gone, is it gone yet? Is it gone? Oh, it's gone. They're not ready to do it. That's why they blend. But as Christians, we have to be ready to do warfare. Because warfare doesn't play by natural rules. It doesn't play by natural. Ephesians 6 through 12 says we don't wrestle against the natural. I mean, we do. We wrestle against our flesh and blood, against our own selves. But we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, against others out in this world. We wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And when those things come against us, we better be full of the Holy Ghost and ready to say, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. The demons will know who you are. They know the authority that we operate in, and they are commanded to flee. 
Attacks are going to come. And it's during these times that we cannot afford to be a Christian chameleon. We're not going to fare well telling the spirits, you know what, devil? I read my Bible. You know what, devil? I, I, I fasted two, two times this week. One time last week. I, I pray it. No, they don't care. No, you say, devil, I don't have to say what I've been because I know who holds me. I don't have to tell you who I am. I have to remind you what authority he has. And by the name of Jesus, I do spiritual warfare in that name. We have to be prayed up, filled with the Holy Ghost. That's what allows us to stand boldly in the time of darkness and say, not today, devil. Not today, devil. You have no ownership over my mind. You have no ownership over my health. You have no ownership over my finances, over my household. So you have to take your hands off. And I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. That name of Jesus. Can we stand? That only comes from concentrated effort in prayer and devotion to God. That doesn't come by just hanging out. <laughs> that doesn't come with just rubbing elbows with the pastor. You know, hey, pastor knows me on a first name basis, so I'm good. I'm good. No. It doesn't come from that. It comes from having a heart that says, God, I want you no matter what. I don't care what others say about me. I don't care what they perceive in me. I need you. And I'm going to follow after you. As we're moving into this relaunch in February. For those of you that may not know what this relaunch is. In February, we're, so we have some departments that are on sabbatical right now. We're going to have some that are in December to kind of get, get focused for ready. In February, we're starting a new uh, service where we'll have a Sunday schools for everybody, adults, and have separate classes in the morning. And then we'll have a worship service afterwards, a church service where everyone comes together. New curriculum, some new changes. Really excited about getting new people involved in the ministry. This is what the kingdom is all about. And I'm really excited about it. I know the pastoral staff. I've talked to many of you others as well. Excuse me. But it's more important as we start this, as we get involved in these, these ministries and what God is wanting us to do, that we make sure that our motives and our heart are in the right place. No matter which one it is, all ministries. We have to come with the mindset that it's not about us and that it's all about him. We must resist the urge and fight against the urge to be that Christian chameleon that's just gonna, I'm just gonna blend in. I'm just gonna blend in and, and, and no one, no. No says, God, I need you. I want people to see you through me. I have to live the life that you called me to be and operate in the ministry that you called me to be. We have to be so much more than that. We must follow the first and great commandment which Jesus laid out in Matthew 22, 37 through 38. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. This is the first and great commandment. If we do that, there'll be no room to be a chameleon. Because <laughs> if I love the Lord my God with everything that I have, there's zero room 
for that other stuff. There's zero room for the rest of the dirt and filth that may be that we come against in the world. We have to be 100% because there's a lost and dying world that's dependent on it. It's not just this church. Yes, we love all of you. It's not about this church existing. I want this church to flourish and, and be allied to this community. But it's not just about those in the church, but it's about those that are outside these four walls. We don't have time to be a chameleon. So as the praise singers start to sing this morning, I ask you, if you want to be 100% fully committed to God and his work for the kingdom, I invite you to this altar to make a fresh commitment to the Lord this morning. It doesn't matter if you, you don't feel that there's, you've been a Christian chameleon or that there's anything against that. But if you say, Lord, I want to move into this new year, into this new season with 100% committedness unto you, no matter what.